welcome to End Goals, an LCMS Youth Ministry podcast. I'm host Reverend Mark Kiesling, and I'm with DCE Juliana Schultz. We are here to bring parents, church workers, and lay leaders discussions and resources to help your youth ministry meet its end goal, which is young people who are disciples of Jesus Christ for life. Today, we talk about tips for supporting parents as they walk alongside their adolescent children. Adolescent development can be a difficult time. Uh, (laughs) Bring up all kinds of new and interesting, yes, interesting issues uh, for parents and for youth leaders. And if we want to care for the spiritual, the mental, the physical well-being of young people, we have to be a team and work together as we do that. It takes a community to care for teens. And that's why we're working through this series on parents and youth ministry. So uh, we've mentioned Barner's research talking broadly about youth ministry in American context of Christianity. Sometimes fits really well with LCMS context, sometimes not. But they did some research in 2017, and parents tended to say that they wanted youth ministry to be a safe space to explore faith, have positive peer relationships, and offer a variety of activities. Well, that's very similar to what youth leaders prioritize. Youth leaders also tend to emphasize evangelism, outreach, and service more than parents. And those can seem like small differences, right? But we see bigger ones as we look at who's expected to be the key leader to help young people be disciples for life. So in that same survey, seven out of 10 parents whose uh, teens regularly attend youth groups say they have a major expectation that their youth pastor or youth leader <laughs> is discipling mm-hmm. teens. And and we know that that's a, a role. Like we hope that youth mm-hmm. leaders are helping disciple teens, but we also want to make sure that they're working in partnership with parents as the primary faith leaders for their children. And that back and forth can slowly over time lead to some maybe disagreements or miscommunications or just missed expectations between parents and youth leaders. Right. So in our, our last episode, we talked with Blake Brockman about some of those things that they do at Peace Lutheran Antigua, Wisconsin to support parents. And I, I think one of the things we took away was appreciating how much he talked about that they took some time to listen to parents, hear their concerns, hear the challenges and opportunities that parents saw and walking alongside their young, young people as they you know continue to live out their faith in their life. And certainly that meant listening to concerns too, and also hopes. And so just like the Barna data, those conversations might lead to some surprises when looking at maybe the expectations for youth ministry, but also a deeper understanding of the challenges and blessing it is in raising children today. I and mean, hopefully, like you said, get to that deeper partnership between parents and the church and that church worker. Yeah. So today we are talking with Tim Repstein, who contributed an excellent chapter in Connected for Life, if you haven't gotten it already, available at cph.org on working with parents. Tim is a DCE who now serves at St. John's Lutheran in Seward, Nebraska. He has served as a missionary in Japan, as a DCE in Reno, Nevada, and in Portland, Oregon. Tim has been on the faculty at Concordia Chicago and Concordia, Nebraska, teaching DCE courses in theology. He's married to Kathy, and they have two grown children. Thanks for joining us today, Tim. Thank you, Juliana. It's good to be here. So, Tim, we got to hear about you briefly in the intro, but tell us something more about your vocations, your roles in youth ministry, and other things that bring you joy. Yeah, thank you. It has been a joy. An oddity is when I went to uh, to school to be a DCE, you know, we had to pick minors or emphasis and youth ministry. I picked it not because I was, you know, inspired by a youth director or anything like that, but it just seemed like the thing to do. And every year since then, I've been involved with youth ministry. And so it really seems like the Lord has placed those opportunities 
uh, in ministry, all the way from, you know, children to college-age students, back to doing youth ministry at 62. But I'm not sure what he's doing with all that, but but it has been a joy. It's been a joy to see see things from different perspectives as I've got, grown from being a youth, from an adolescent to being a dad and, and hopefully soon to be a grandfather. So I guess my I'd say my passion is youth ministry, but not so much, you know, the games and the lock-ins and that sort of stuff but really the area of just seeing young people grow and mature uh, through the challenges. And there's definitely a lot of new challenges from when I started out. So I look back and I, I go, yeah, I was a teen, got to be a parent, got to now get to work with youth again in a parish. And it's just been kind of an interesting couple, number of decades. Yeah, it's amazing to see how how God works in and through people over over the course of years and in careers, even in church work, how how different those different aspects can be. One of the things we love to hear from people who we interview is about their junior and senior high youth years. Uh, can you share for us how Jesus used maybe a key moment or people to help uh, keep or bring you closer to Him and the church? Yeah, oddly enough, it prop those key moments and key opportunities probably were before and after junior high and senior high. My mother remarried when I was starting junior high, seventh grade, and we moved into the mountains of Washington. So we were 45 minutes away, 45 miles away from uh, our church. And so that was during junior high and high school. And so getting to church was a real challenge. But the years prior to that, from my baptism on, of course, the Lord kept his promise to uh, stay with me, to be with me, I guess, and that I would be with him. And so once I got through high school, suddenly all the things that seemed important kind of took a back seat. And I really went through a, a challenge of who am I and uh, what's really important. And so that it seemed like at that point, the Lord was able to sort of become a little bit more front and center. And so happened to have a friend of mine and we just decided we we're going to start going to churches and we'd call each other up Saturday night and say, Hey, what church should we go to this time and that time and this day. And over the number of weeks of doing that, I noticed I would tend to find Lutheran churches to go to, and he would tend to find Baptist churches to go to. Well, that was our background. And so there was our comfort, you know, as well as, as well as the Lord's working in that. And so it was a really a searching period. And there were, there's a number of people who I don't know their names anymore, but as I'm working through who, what do I want to be? Who do I want to be? The Lord seemed to place them in my path. I remember sitting on an airplane once going somewhere and I was in the aisle seat. The guy next to me on the other aisle just started up a conversation, come to find out he's a pastor. And I just, it was real easy to talk to. And I started talking a little bit about this and that. And he had some, some good guidance and some good insights, wasn't judgmental. And I just think how many people, uh, like that, that just sort of popped in and popped out. Probably the more significant person was my girlfriend at the time. She became my wife later, Kathy. Her father's a pastor, retired now and deceased now out in the Northwest and I was going to college and really figuring out what do I want to do? And uh, he suggested considering the DCE program, which was pretty new out there at the time. And so kind of got me on the path, started exploring that. And it just seemed like, yeah, I had a lot of things that fit well, things that I enjoyed and whatnot. So he's been kind of an ongoing mentor for decades, my father-in-law. So those are some people that, 
that I guess pop in and, and come to mind. Well, that's great. As we've talked about a lot, there's we're so blessed to see the investment that people make in the lives of young people or ourselves. God seems to put them in just at the perfect time and be able to encourage us in our faith and also opportunities to serve too. So love to hear how God used people in, in your life. And so certainly as people invested in you, you get to invest in others and young people and parents. So just love to hear from you. What do you love about working with young people and their parents in your congregation and in your community? Thank you, Mark. That's a good question. I appreciate your pointing out that, you know, these investments of adults and, and key people in young people's lives. And that's, I think, a wonderful way to look at it. And so as far as oftentimes I'll ask DCE students or, or high school students to look around and we have a similar conversation, you know, who has been instrumental in your life? Who, who are the influencers in your life? And the research bears out the same results. You know, by far it's the parents or a family member that is always head and shoulders above the whatever is second. But then I turn around and ask them, well, who are you influencing? As you look around, who do you see and how can you invest in other people, even at the high school level? And just try to get them to think about that a little bit more, even at a, at a younger level. I, I really do enjoy working with the teenagers and the parents. For me, the relationships are, are pretty much key. You know, the more we can get to know each other, of course, there's a, a trust that builds up. I get to teach seventh graders every morning in confirmation class, and I really enjoy that every Friday because yeah. because we're ahead of our schedule every Friday now. We'll just sit down and I'll pick a scenario out of a book, kind of a case study, and we talk about it. This morning, we got to talking about things that your parents do to support you, you know, areas that you mm -hmm. enjoy, that they do support you and your passions. And it was neat to hear these young people because I know the parents, of course, we all worship together. And it was really neat to hear those areas. And then what are some areas you wish, you know, they would support you more? And of course, as a parent, I, I kind of see why kids would say that, but why, maybe why parents, you know, don't invest in that area so much and stuff. So I, get, I guess the relationship both with the kids and, you know, can a 62-year-old guy have a relationship with a 14-year-old? Well, yeah. And they have funny antics and they like to joke around. They're just getting to the age where they... You know, they have a little bit more mature relationship with adults. And so sometimes they'll come out with a, with a comment about me or a jab at me. And I just kind of laugh. I thought, yeah, they're, they're feeling pretty comfortable <laughs> that they can say that. But then to tell the parents, Hey, you know, I, and I love doing this every year. I'll have them write down who taught you how to pray or who influenced you uh, to read the scriptures. And again, most of them will say a parent or a grandparent. Then I enjoy telling the parents that. A couple of years ago, I told a mom, her daughter had said her mom was her hero and her mom was in the office. And I mentioned that to her and her mom started crying because at home they're having their tensions. They're having their struggles as that young adolescent <laughs> wants to become more independent. But then to hear that that child still sees their parents as a hero. And it was just a neat joy to, to be able to share that. And, you know, it, it lifts the parents up too, because boy, we're always struggling feeling guilty. Like we know we could do better and we're not. And so parents oftentimes will feel guilty and 
they're struggling. I think every parent wants to do the best they can. Yeah. And as a youth leader, one of the great things that we can do is in a time where maybe in the household, there's all sorts of adolescent development that's happening that's normal and differentiating themselves from their parents, which looks a lot of different, very complicated ways to step in and and remind them that, that they are loved, mm-hmm. both the parents and, and the youth by each other. You know, that adolescent time of development, including faith development, you kind of address that a little bit in your chapter. What kinds of developmental stages might parents and adult leaders see and how might they work together to help youth through those developmental stages kind of as a team? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's that's great in, in many levels. On a personal level, I had taught and had done youth ministry for quite some time before we ha- our kids entered adolescence, but they did. And one was particularly rebellious. And I'm kind of going through this, gosh, you know, and it's the oldest one. So it's the first one I'm thinking every time I do something or every time he gets angry, it's, he's going to be a criminal as an adult, or, you know, he's going to be, you know, on drugs or he's just going to escalate. And I had a fellow DCE who was a little older than I was, uh, Ralph Peterson. And he would say, oh, your kids are doing fine. Don't worry. And I would take a breath. And then I'm teaching youth ministry at Concordia. You know, it's a class I'm teaching young DCEs and I'm telling them, sometimes you got to help me out here because I'm in the thick of it as a parent. And it's scary, you know, and, and so even students would kind of help the teacher because when, when I'm in it, I'm so invested in my kids and their future that it it's really challenging. And so I kind of labeled this one phase that Erickson picks up on. I call it the scary phase or the, the scary stage because it's when parents and, and kids, the kids are rebelling against the things their parents taught them. And as a parent, that hurts. You want them to adopt all your words of wisdom and all your experience, and they start pushing back. Now, Erickson calls it the the identification or I- identifying identity confusion kind of struggle. They're trying to figure out who they are. Are they going to adopt this that their parents have been teaching them for so many years, or are they going to disown it? Well, they got to sort of disown it. They got to challenge it. And the illustration is a guy pushing against the wall. Is that wall going to be sturdy? Is this a sturdy wall or is it going to crumble? And in order to do that, they got to push back. And that's a time I think when youth ministers, pastors, DCEs really can walk with parents and, and say, you know, this is normal. It's all part of developing. They're just earning kind of their independence. Individuation is another term that gets used for that. That they're, they're just kind of individualizing that's identity. And I, I think this is such a big issue because I think identity development is a core issue and maybe even a core struggle in America today, you know, and, and it plays out in many kinds of identity confusion types of things. And, and so for me at St. John, Really, if if I'm going to impact or if we're going to impact these young people, if we can help them nurture and develop a healthy identity in Christ, I think many storms, you know, they will be able to to weather and come out strong on the other end. And so to me, that identity de- development is is pretty key right now. Absolutely. And, and just those many ways in which uh, we're able to, as the church, as parents, to, you know, the Holy Spirit, like you said, parents can go through those times of struggle that Holy Spirit used those times that we feel like our failures maybe didn't have the results or the fruit that we saw. But we know just when we did our own research, we love to see 
Holy Spirit uses that over a time and being in God's word and prayer and those relationships that get built. Uh, he does amazing things uh, for young people and to solidify their identity as beloved children of God. And then as they're starting to, again, get more independent, maybe leaving the house, college, whatever it might be, that they're able to look back on that way that they were cared for in their home or in their church and what a blessing that could be. And and you talk about certainly in that, that there's going to be those topics maybe that are going to be difficult for parents and youth leaders too to navigate, but yet how we can partner on that. And maybe it might be encouraging parents to talk about it more, be more open to it, or to actually give them information to be able to understand the context, but then also maybe to speak about it as well. You mentioned things like social media and busyness, FOMO, fear of missing out, and also maybe idolizing being young or youth and what that means. How can youth leaders and parents build maybe a supportive community to help youth around these issues? Right. Yeah. That again, that's a, that's a huge topic. And there are a lot of things that we can do. I think in some ways it's a bit of a mindset. First off, the church is there to support what the family does. The family is primary. And Juliana, I heard you say that in the introduction too. getting to that point where the, the, the church, the home see, sees themselves as the primary former and nurture of faith, of course, with the Holy Spirit at work. One of the challenges over the last two generations is We've kind of turned to the church to do pretty much since the post-World uh, War II era, the baby boomer era, the, the youth minister has risen, and we turn it over to the church to raise them. And that is not as effective as equipping parents and teaming with parents and them being the primary role. So if we get that mindset clear, then the church's role is how can we support, how can we equip them? And so, you know, there's lots of resources. When I first started being a DCE, you know, we're all kind of creating resources. There's a lot of resources out there now to help parents in that. But probably one of the best services we can do is give that role back to them. And so mm-hmm. parents, you know, how can we, how can we help you do devotions at home? How can we help you lead prayer at home? How can we help, help you understand these developmental stages? had a conversation with my sister when her daughter was going through challenges. And I said, you know, this is pretty normal. She should be, you know, challenging you. She should be pushing back. And my sister said, why didn't anybody tell me that? <laughs> well, we can tell people that, right? <laughs> people walk with me when our kids were teenagers. We can walk with them when they're teenagers. The podcast you're doing is a great resource. I want to make this available to our parents so that they can listen to it while they're walking, while they're driving to work, you know, just give them some, some encouragement, the things. So, so I guess the parent centering the faith formation in the home, all the years, I mean, empirically there's research that support that, but it has been a tough transit. But then I look at Luther back in Luther's time, he got pretty upset that dads were not taking that main role in their, in their homes too. So it's not just unique to us, but it is still a a challenge to make that happen. Busyness, FOMO, fear of missing out. These are all kind of things that come, you know, as there's been others in the past. I I think busyness is is a concern that children want to spend time with their parents. In fact, I asked the seventh graders that. They like it when they, I talked to a seventh grader recently. I said, what are you gonna do this weekend? And she was a little sheepish. She said, my dad and I have this practice that we just watch cartoons together. My heart just did a flip-flop. And I know the dad. He's a great dad. And he gets it, right? I mean, watching cartoons with your daughter, what a what a what an awesome thing to do. And but yeah, you gotta 
you got to put something else on the back burner if you're going to make that time for your daughter. And that really is it. Making the time, it becomes a priority. And I don't need to be, mean to beat up on parents because, again, they're doing the best they can. But in terms of priorities, yeah. if that time with your family can be higher, moved higher up, then that, that would be helpful. One of the things you suggest in the chapter, and I pulled this out because it stuck with me as I was reading the rest of the material, which is you pose if there's one thing that parents and youth leaders <laughs> should be doing together, it's eating together. And as a person who uh, enjoys a great social meal, I can appreciate that. But why did you put that as kind of the importance uh, or the uh, talk about maybe the influence of, of eating together as youth leaders and parents? Yeah, that, that didn't necessarily originate with me. It's had two sources. One is just in reading stuff, you know, that has been flagged by by sociologists and others. But also my wife, she brings that to our family. She we had dinner at 530 every night. <laughs> and we still do. And and the kids knew that, even from when they were very little. And so, you know, we, we would get teased sometimes about being, you know, fairly rigid in that, but that adds some security in their life that they know 530 is dinner. And of course they push back against it, but that was the time when our family would all uh, get together. Now, oftentimes I'd have to leave early or, you know, go to church meetings and whatnot, but we were there at 530. We would start with a prayer. And as the kids got older, then they would get to pick the prayer that we would say before we ate. And then as they got a little bit older, we always had devotions after dinner. And again, my wife brought that to the family because that's what her family did. But then as the kids got older, we had a few devotional books and, and they would get to lead one. Thursday night was our daughter's night. Friday night was our son's night. And they would pick one from a book that they had and they would lead that. Those kinds of things are really faith forming. I can't remember one night when it just was a, an earth shattering spiritual experience but there were 365 nights a year um, and the ongoing building of that. And uh, it's just that, you know, through the home drum, through the times when the kids are mad at me, <laughs> through the times when I'm mad at them, you know, but we're still family. And, and so the research bears out that that is an important time together. My wife brought that to the, t to the family and we continue to do that. And, uh, it, it, again, it's just that relational time. Around a meal, I mean, that's biblical. Many cultures gather together around meals. And uh, I'm with you, Juliana. I like a good social meal as well. And, and then I was off on Monday nights. I get Mondays off. And poor Kathy, she didn't get it off. She'd have to fix dinner. So we got in the habit of, well, let's just go out Monday night. And, you know, it was, we'd go cheap. I mean, we didn't have much money. But then as the kids got older, we'd rotate. And so one Monday, our daughter would pick where we go. Another Monday, our son would pick where we go, and then I'd pick. And uh, so they got to kind of choose that. And so it was a once-a-week night out, or my wife got, a, got away from having to prepare a meal. And so that mealtime really does seem to be a great peg in the ground. This, this you know, is what we're going to do. And uh, certainly there was arguments at dinner. You know, it wasn't always bliss. In fact, <laughs> uh, probably less bliss, but... I mean, even arguing as families, you got to learn how you're going to argue in Christ. And so that, that became an important piece and, and the research just also bears it out. So there's no silver bullet, you know, there's no one thing, but if we had to add one more thing to our schedule, let's just make sure we're all going to have a meal together. 
So you talk about for congregations kind of have, you were talking about that foundational mindset to let parents uh, be parents and to have that important role investing in their young people, eating being an important way that they can start that conversation. You also then talk about though, how congregations can actively support parents. And you probably, even in the last couple of years with COVID, maybe another thing, seen even some new ideas come out of that or see like, man, these really tests went through really well through something like a pandemic. What are some of those ways that congregations can actively support parents to do their roles? Yeah, I'm glad we stay on that topic. That's great. You know, we talk a lot about this is a friendly congregation. We're family friendly and stuff. But then look around and, you know, do you have the things that are, are family friendly? Do you have children's bulletins? Do you have children's bags with books and things mm -hmm. that, you know, can keep kids in worship, but also keep them engaged in things like that? We have families that will sit up front and I really encourage them because, you know, you're way in the back and I understand mm -hmm. why kids can be noisy, but up front, they can see what's going on. And, and so up front, those kids tend to be less noisy, probably because they can't see what the pastor's doing. Our pastor does a great job in that he always invites the children up when there's a baptism. So they get to see that and he'll remind them. Many of them were baptized at that font and how important that is to them. When kids, families come in, we'll get down on our knees and we'll greet the children at eye level. Pastor does that. Other people will do that. When, uh, when they come up, we encourage parents to bring their kids up for communion. They always will get a blessing. So they're incur encouraged and participating in that. We're blessed in that we have a school. And so many of the, there's music training in the school. And so we'll have children's choirs, children's bells, you know, and so they get to participate in worship and that sort of thing. There's always someone that will make sure we have babysitting available when we have events going on, potlucks or or meetings so that, you know, if you can bring the kids and, and we'll make sure that they're taken care of so that you can come and participate. We've dabbled in intergenerational Bible classes and, you know, we want the whole family to come. And so we've had some families lead those intergenerational experiences. So th those are some of the things we've tried to do. We're trying to model, you know, some of the intergenerational things, but frankly, worship is probably the most intergenerational thing that we do. And uh, so having, you know, everyone there, even though it can be noisy at times, but that's, that's kind of that sacred time to, to let's all be together as a, as an intergenerational model. And as those kids get a little older, then they recognize this is kind of how we worship. You know, how do you learn worship? Well, you sit in it and you watch, you listen to the old guy in back with the gray beard that can't sing on tune, but he stands up and he bows his head and he prays. <laughs> You know, and, uh, <laughs> and so it just seems like in many ways, worship, how we worship is caught by participating in it. And so that's a, that's a pretty important right. time to be together. Yeah. I've, that is one of the places where we maybe deviate. One of the strongest places that we deviate maybe from other denominations when yeah. we look at broad research is that there are other, you know, church bodies that have different worships for different age, age groups. That's a little more siloed. Whereas in the Lutheran church, we really hold, hold fast to that intergenerational worship being, being this huge value. So appreciate that that can be a place where we can, can start and come together uh, and support each other. 
I think you uh, got so many great ideas. I, th- I think one of the things that we can talk about is, hey, we're going to do this whole series where we can talk for hours and hours and hours about places that, that youth leaders can be supporting parents, congregations can be supporting parents in their faith role. But maybe it's easy if we can start small. So if you were a lay leader listening to this series, what would be some small steps or encourages you might encouragements you might start with? That, yeah, and it, it can be overwhelming. And then you talk to people who are doing it well in other churches and you just go, gosh, you know, we, we can't do all that. Well, can you do something? You know, can you, can you, can you just make one step in, in progress? And so pick that one thing, something as simple as can the, can a board say, you know, we're going to hand out devotions, family devotions on Mother's Day. And, and so as you leave, give every, every, female, uh, a devotion and, uh, and encourage them to start. That's a small step. Maybe we can do a brief video reel on how to do a devotion. You know, they usually have three things. They have scripture, they have some application, they have a prayer. And so, I mean, you know, we, we produce, you guys produce great devotional materials. And so we don't have to write it, but model it, um, anymore, just bringing, bringing your kids to church kind of thing. And so can we gather together and, you know, Mark, you mentioned, you know, kind of coming through COVID and everybody went online and our worship services are online and whatnot. And now the challenge of coming, hopefully out of COVID at some level, coming back to church, you know, the, the people coming back, it got real comfortable to sit in your pajamas on your couch with your coffee and worship together. And it's a little bit tough now to get in that new habit of getting up early and getting dressed and coming. So, you know, coming back to church and being part of that body. And so there's not one thing. Well, we talked about the meal, you know, and, and, and if, the, if you can add that, just say, okay, from now on, we're going to have Friday night dinner together, you know, or we're going to do Sunday lunch together. And that, and that's our time. And that's the one thing. Uh, that's great. But I guess it's it's making progress. Don't do it all. You just you just can't. That's overwhelming. But just add one more thing. I used to drive kids home from school, and we'd pick up kids, you know, somebody else's kids. We were carpooling, and we'd sit there. And the first couple of times, I'd be driving, and I'd be thinking about stuff, and it'd be kind of quiet. And I thought, wow, this is prime time. So I started asking the kids, hey, how'd school go today? Well, it's fine. All right, say, well, what's one thing that went well, or what's something that didn't go well? And over time. And we started having conversations with other kids, our own, but also other kids. And I found out one little boy's mother was in the hospital. Well, that's, that's scary. Right. And so we tell them, well, we'll pray for her. And then the next time, how's your mother doing? And so it just kind of just that conversation in the, in the car kind of thing really is a, is a simple one to do. So many people spend time in cars these days, you know, highs and lows, that kind of thing. Yeah, I think small starts, as long as we start or, or small progress, as long as we're making one step forward, that I think that's good. Well, great encouragement. We are so grateful for you and your insights. And, and thanks so much for being here and sharing them with us. Well, it's been enjoyable. Thank you. So in your context, you might feel you're doing a lot of things to encourage parents um, and getting good feedback from them too. And others might be saying like, man, this is something, and we hear this a lot from congregations to say, this is a priority for us to figure this out. And I love, I think both of our last guests, Blake and Tim, both have said, start with little things. There's little parts of encouragement, bring prayer into the family, um, ask good questions, give them questions, build a prompt, put them in. I mean, I love Tim's story of the mom to say like, your daughter 
told you you're a hero, you know, and like the bride would totally caught her off guard and to be able to give, give encouragement so that they see how God is working through them and their vocation as parent. Just those little things that can open up conversations, encouragement, and then also get maybe deeper into those resources that, you know, those little things can become bigger things. And it might take a little bit of time. It may not be those parents that you're ministering with right now, but downtime, give it some, some investment that you're going to see maybe more and more robust conversations around parents and equipping them to, to talk about the faith in their home. Yeah, I think we see consistently that consistently that consistency uh, is the, uh-huh. the thing. Right, we see over and over again. Right, it's little things done consistently. Yep. It's it's the praying, it's the checking in, it's the devotions, it's the meals together, consistently done over time that really builds this foundation that we can that we can grow from. I also love, I'm, I'm a nerd. I get it. I'm a data nerd. I like understanding adolescent development in mm-hmm. particular and understanding how brains form and how we're wiring and how we're, what we're struggling with in those years. And I do really find that it is helpful to know enough to be able to look at a parent and be like, yep, that's yeah, normal. Your right, kid is doing right. the normal thing. And this is how you can step into that spot with grace. And this is how we can stand alongside you as you do that. Um, and this is how we can support you and and your young person by understanding that like things, sometimes things have to happen. I think it'd be that voice to say you're not failing. You're not failing, <laughs> yeah. right? I mean, for me, yeah. I, I think back to a moment where, you know, I had a, a parent, again, who came to me who was like, my kid did this thing, um, totally inexplicable. I have no idea what they were thinking and they're just shut down. They don't know what they're thinking and being able to go like, okay, well, they're an eighth grader and they probably don't know why right. they did that right. thing. They genuinely don't. The part of their brain that makes good decisions misfired and now they don't know why they did this thing. And they're like, oh, and I was like, it's totally possible. Yep. <laughs> that, and then that changed the whole trajectory of that conversation and allowed that parent to then come into that situation with a different understanding and a different level of grace that helps them to navigate through that. And when we're partnering well between parents and youth leaders, those kinds of things can be really powerful. Absolutely. And I, I, I love too the idea of, of just those relational connections that can happen parent to kid, but then also within the church. And so, and I think sometimes we need to be thinking about that. You actually have to intentionally think that through. Now, relationships happen organically and by being together, but you got to intentionally find those times. So, I mean, how do you, we've talked about this before in worship, when you have this great time of Christian community, receiving Christ's gifts, intergenerational. How do you capitalize on that relationally and make those connections? Christian education opportunities. And so how can you maybe find those times to encourage parents to be involved, to find mutual support, and then also to say, how do you take that home into uh, the home, into the everyday Saturday, Sunday to Sunday of connecting with their own children um, to be able to understand the importance of Christian relationships? One place that you can look for for resources is the youth e-source. We do have a series of devotions that is specifically designed for families to do in their home. And we are about to post um, a series of Bible studies uh, that parents can do in the home to talk about their relationship uh, with their kids and their relationship as a couple and as a family and also for siblings, because we know that that sibling relationship is is a uh, beautiful one, but also one that can be difficult in those teenage years. So uh, be sure to check that. We'll put some links in the show notes. But to close, uh, we're going to give you a few questions to think about. First, how can you help parents through times of development that can feel scary? How can you help parents engage in tough spiritual conversations in their home? 
And how can you help parents develop consistent practices that develop faith over time? We will continue to keep you in our prayers as youth leaders and parents in our prayers as you work together to care for young people as they navigate adolescence and move into being disciples of Jesus Christ for life. Engel's podcast is a production of LCMS Youth Ministry and KFUO Radio. To find out more about LCMS Youth Ministry or to find links to resources mentioned, go to kfuo.org slash youth ministry. Thank you for listening and caring for the young people of our church. Thank you.